great sustainer. All things consist by you, as it says in Colossians. And so when we lift up our brothers and sisters who are going through ailments, even through some surgeries, serious or not so serious, we pray that your grace would be found sufficient so that we would not have to fear when we go through those valleys. I pray that we would recognize the nearness of our Lord. Our cup runs over. Goodness and mercy follow us all the days of this life. Help us to not forget it. And even as we see the raindrops falling today, I pray that we might recognize the showers of blessing in our life. Lord, I do pray that you will bless your church. We pray not only that your will will be done in society, but that it will be done through the ecclesia, through the called out ones, that they would be caring, praying, communicating, discipling, and committed. Oh, Lord, I pray that when people see Christians, that they will see Christ in them. Oh, Lord, I also pray that you will help us to reach people who have not been reached. But right now, I pray that you also Communicate the gospel to our own hearts. We need it. We need to be reminded of your love for us. I pray that you will shine like the light. Make, it, make the S-O-N shine in our hearts that we may never have to have a, a gloomy Monday. Oh, Lord, I also pray that you will meet the needs of those things that are before us, the ministries that we're looking forward to, to start in, this, in the summer, And I pray that you'll also help us to be effective at meeting people where they are and walking with them through discipleship to where they need to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have asked my brother Art to pray today too, and I didn't see you. Are you prepared? Come on up if you would. Art celebrated his 70th anniversary. Come I was looking for you for the prayer, and I have asked him to pray today because it is so exciting to reach that milestone. And of course, I remember the first time I met somebody that was married for 70 years, I asked them, what's the success council? Because at that point, I didn't even have a wife. And uh, this old gentleman, probably your age, he looked at me, he was from Carthage, Mississippi, and he says, one of you need to learn to hush. Would you lead us in prayer, brother, or share what was... I need something to put this on. Got it right here. I need another hand, but I'll I'll manage, I guess. Can can that thing come down? I'm hushing. Thank you. I'll give you this back. Good morning. I just walked in the door and my wife is not well and I've been taking care of her, so forgive me. I'm, I'm glad I got here in time. I'm going to lead you in prayer in a moment and I want to, I want to make an announcement as well. I don't know which to do first. Let me pray first. Join me, please, in a prayer. Father God, 
our Lord and our God. We bow our heads and our hearts before you this morning to give you praise and to thank you for this fantastic life you've given us, for this great place you've given us to worship you. Thank you, Lord God, for your loving kindness every day and for the wonderful party we had recently. Thank you, Lord, for all my brothers and sisters who joined us. I pray you'll bless each life. And now, Lord, I want to pray for those who are listed in our bulletin, if I can find it. Yeah, here we go. Bob Brown, who is recovering from heart surgery. Lord, bless him with a full recovery and help him to use this time, this downtime, to turn his heart towards you and learn more about his potential in this life. And I pray for Wayne Fowler, who is in the hospital, and Ruth Fowler. And for Gwen Yetter, who is recovering from her recent hospitalization. And for Joan Brown with a leg problem. And Gail Kennedy, who is not home recovering from heart surgery. I think he's home. And Nancy Ulrey, Shirley Forbes. And for those dealing with cancer. And with my brother, who just stopped me in the hall, who... You'll forgive me, brother, but my memory is just shut down and I don't remember your name. Palm of my hand. God bless you in your surgery coming up this week. Cancer surgery on the back. This is our brother who is a nurse at BB Hospital. You all know who I mean. I pray for Ruth Fowler, for Kirk Brown with the knee replacement therapy. Jan Wilson, Pat Mola, Don Mattis. He's praying for success in his new business. And for Mindy and Ross as they travel, and Sue Buck, coming cancer, excuse me, cataract surgery coming up, and a few more people who are not on there. I think with a general, all the sick or injured the congregation or in their families. I pray to bless them with healing and for the good use of this downtime as they find out why God has called them to faith, what, the, what he expects of them with their remaining years. And I pray, Lord, for my son, Steve, who has just been diagnosed with an underperforming heart, and he has a, a, the, the big vest and the, the, I forget what you call it. He's my only son, my pride and joy, and I pray you'll join me in praying for his full recovery. And I'm thinking about those in this congregation and those in our families who are suffering from addiction 
to harmful substances like my grandson. God, I pray you'll give them the good sense and the strength of will to kick the habit and come back to you. God, be with them all. I ask you, Lord God, to deliver them. And I want to ask you, Lord God, to remember all of our family members, all of our neighbors and friends who are still unbelievers, who have missed the best thing in life, a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and the assurance of life everlasting. God be with them, help them to find you. In the, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now the announcement. Lest I forget. For, for the last three or four years, I've been talking about a nonprofit ministry to veterans. And I've included now the underemployed seniors. In this, in this locality. I want to limit it to coastal Sussex to start. We're having a formation meeting on Friday after lunch at the uh, Green Turtle in Lewis, uh, sponsored by the Sons of Abraham. We're going to have a ministry that will provide the service that changed my life 62 years ago when after months of prayer God spoke to me and the, the bottom line is I ended up having psychological testing which showed me what my uh, what God had given me in my genes that I could excel in whatever I do, did using those genes it's a matter of aptitude there's two very good, famous words that are very important words in our language. Aptitude and attitude. Aptitude gets you going and, at, and, and attitude will make you succeed. And that's what God taught me 62 years ago, and I've been working with it ever since. I had a 55-year career using what God told me. I've been retired now for about five, six years. It's time to go back to work. The meeting is, is this Friday? This Friday. This Friday at 2 o'clock, right after our lunch meeting. You're welcome to come to lunch at 12.30 if you want, but if you're interested, come at 2 o'clock. The Green Turtle in Lewis. Thank you. Amen. <laughs> glad you made it. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 5. We're looking at Acts chapter 5. We're going to reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible words. As they were given to us, these words were actually written by Luke. 
Luke was an eyewitness to many things. Uh, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul. We find that he joined him in Acts chapter 16. So, and the way you know that is because the pronouns change. Uh, he starts saying we instead of them, instead of they. And so it's interesting that when he ends up writing this book, he's gone back and he's talked to some of the people who were there to gather these actual facts. And uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 5, which is, uh, which is found on page 1,161 in your, in your pew Bibles. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the word of God, which is quick and powerful and sharper than in a two-edged sword. I pray that it might pierce our hearts as uh, that it reaches down to our innermost being. I pray that it will transform us, just as our brother Art just gave testimony that his life was changed. I pray that you'll change us even today in Jesus' name. Amen. There are some verses that we could look at. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the whole section, verses 1 through 11, 1 through 11, uh, because this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I don't know if you've heard this passage before. Sometimes it's, it's used for financial sermons uh, to scare you into giving a lot more than you would have. Um, when we read the text, you'll understand what that means. That is not what I'll be dealing with today. Uh, the emphasis today is on communication. What is being communicated in this story? Because it could have been omitted. It could have been left out. But Luke, when he did the research... There's no way that he was going to leave this story out. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias... Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Verse 5. When Ananias heard... These words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And after an interval of only three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me. Whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of our Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And they carried her out. And buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church. And upon all who heard of these things. Oh Lord I pray that you will teach us. From this historical account. I pray that you might give us some inspiration. Help us to be different for having been here today. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What word would you use to describe a perfect moment? When things were working together. You know, the proverbial, all the stars just lined up and it just came to pass. And on Facebook, I recently uh, heard of an author who called uh, that special moment sacred. Now, the person didn't mean that it was godly or it was divine. They just said it was sacred. It was special. When things were nice, people get along. Makes me think of the Beach Boys song. Wouldn't it be nice if we were older? Can you imagine those words? Then we wouldn't have to wait so long. And, we wouldn't, and wouldn't it be nice to live together in the kind of world where we belong? Wouldn't it be nice? You can just, you can just hear the melody. Isn't that a nice feeling? John Lennon, he uh, tried to imagine what that would look like. You've heard his song, Imagine. Imagine there's no countries. Imagine there's no death. He says, but this is the one that that relates to the passage today. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. He says, you're probably thinking I'm a dreamer. But he says, I'm not the only one. The issue is, is that This nice utopia, sacred moment actually did take place in A.D. 33. And it wasn't when Jesus was being hoisted up on the cross after they had brutally beaten him and after they did all those despicable things to him that we wouldn't even be able to watch. Isaiah said we would hide our eyes. It was so bad. He was despised and rejected. But after Jesus rose from the dead, there was the time where the people got together at Pentecost, chapter 2 of Acts, and they prayed, and then God ended up doing some great things. The word of God was no longer veiled, but it was proclaimed. The preacher stood up and spoke, and there were people who believed it, and there were thousands converted. Wow, thousands of people. By the time we reached Acts chapter 5, you find that there are now 5,000 people following Jesus. Whereas before this time, you didn't have hardly at all. You maybe a handful. 5,000 people strong. What a church community that would be. What a utopia in chapter 4. You know, you had just seen that health issues, and we had quite a few of them, even as Brother Art mentioned. When health wasn't the issue. My goodness, when the preacher came to pray in, in Acts chapter uh, 4, at the beginning, he, go, he comes to pray in the afternoon. Somebody's lame. You know, you can imagine having a walker or, you know, they can't even get up. They've been doing that for years and years. And all of a sudden, Peter says, I don't have a lot of money, but I can give you what I have. I have a relationship with Jesus. Let me introduce him to you. Rise up and walk. When health doesn't become the dominant issue in your world, then you can see that there was a utopian state, a sacred moment that was happening. The people that were gathering, the 5,000, they weren't worried about their sickness and their health, their hair or their lack of hair or their finances and all. They weren't stressed about a lot of the things in this world that we would stress about. And let me take you there to be able to see it. It's what Lenin was somewhat imagining in chapter 4. Verse 32, 
Now when the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that of any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds that were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and then it was redistributed to everyone who had need. And there was a man, verse 36, named Joseph, who was also called by the apostles uh, by the name Barnabas, which meant son of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus from that island area. He sold a field that belonged to him. He brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's just stay there in chapter 4. Wouldn't you like to be a member of that church? When you think about that, no worries, no anxiety. I was trying to flesh that out. What would that look like? You know, if we actually were there, uh, the health issues, as I said, were not an issue. The idea of knowing who your friends and enemies were were clear. Because if you were a Christian, you were inside that community. If you were not, you expected. You expected the political leaders and all to give you a hard time. The believers were trusting in the sovereign God. They were asking him for things to be provided. They were asking for God's strength for boldness, which he gave. They had cooperation one with another, and they also were inclined to give things away. Wouldn't it be nice if there was no chapter 5? But there is. And so in the message today, I want to be able to at least tackle chapter 5's issue. But what happens that shatters this dream of a utopian state, of a sacred moment where people are getting along and are all happy? What broke down was communication. We discover a communication problem within the church group in chapter 5. And in chapter 6, we find another problem with the church leadership. Pastor, why do we want to do this? Because the early church had to deal with these communication issues, and so do we. So I want to be able to to walk through and why the breakdown of the sacred moment. It's not that hard to figure out. So the first thing I want to do is I want you to show, I want to show you what the trouble was, and then I want to be able to show some teaching that that the apostle gives to it. What is the trouble that took place in chapter 5? We read the passage, verses 1 through 11. We know the story about Ananias and Sapphira. They were some neat people who at the end of verse 11, they're not there anymore. They left the church. It's one way of putting it. Now, when you think about this, God wanted us to know about it. So I don't want to just gloss over it and say it doesn't matter. There was trouble in the church. First thing I want to be able to tell you is what it was not. And this is kind of an interesting thing because I had not seen it this way before. Uh, We're talking about Ananias and Sapphira. Their trouble was not a marriage issue. In fact, what do we know about this marriage? They communicated. They were in on it together. I mean, when when it says there, with his wife's knowledge, I I was interesting that. Uh, Verse 2, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. It was not a marriage issue. There was no children here, so there was no custody battle. There was no lawyers involved. Uh, Thirdly, it was not really even a money matter. 
What are you talking about, pastor? They were trying to keep some money for themselves. The, the Bible is talking in this passage. It's not about the actual money. It's about the heart that loves money. And you're going to see how that is coming back. Part of this reason why they wanted to do this is because the issue of jealousy. But jealousy really wasn't the full issue. What are you talking about, Pastor? Let me paint the picture for you. Okay, Ananias and Sapphira are a part of this 5,000-member church. They're not really organized very well, but they're all excited about what God is doing because they're making sense of who this Jesus was, who was dead. Many of them saw him die, and now he's alive, and they know. They know who he is. But when, when, when Barnabas sold his field, the guy from Cyprus... When Barnabas sold his field and brought the money and dropped it at the apostles' feet with no strings attached, he just says, here. He didn't sign an IOU or anything else like that. It was so fascinating. It was like so amazing that people obviously recognized that this guy named Joseph is now named Barnabas. And why were they calling him Barnabas? You remember the text tells us? Because he was an encourager. He was a, a big encourager. I don't know how much money he dumped at the apostles' feet, but apparently it was pretty significant. And guess what? Everybody knew. Somehow or other, they knew about it. I don't think they put it on Facebook or anything, but I mean, I honestly think that everybody kind of had this clue that Barnabas was really all in. And Ananias and Sapphira knew about it. And they said, we like that. We'd like to have what he has. A measure of jealousy. Of covetousness. We would like to be known by the apostles. We'd like them to know our first name. We'd like to be on the in crowd just like Barnabas is. And so they devised this plan because that's what it was. We'll take this property we have and we'll sell it and we'll do the same thing that Barnabas did. And guess what they expected? The same applause. Did any of you ever see this before? It's so subtle. Why can they do this? Because the one thing that they're lacking is never brought up here. They have a great plan. They're implementing it excellently. They have a great communication plan inside their household. And they even look pretty good. They're active in the church. They're coming and they're even giving money. I'm telling you, they would be prime candidates to be church leaders, wouldn't you think? So what's the problem here? What's the trouble inside of them? When you start to answer that question, we're all looking inside of our own hearts to try to figure out if we were them, what's really wrong with what they're doing? And it boils down to, oh, there was deception because they wanted to keep back some of the money because they really, it really wasn't about giving everything to God. It was about getting the applause that Barnabas got. And so the issue really comes out is they didn't worry about who they were giving the money to. They were more concerned about what other people would think about them. Who were they not thinking about? God. They had no fear of God. And you see, that's the point. If you listen to the text, if you open your Bibles there, you have it open, you're going to be able to see real clearly that this trouble came in in verse 5, that great fear comes upon all the other people because Ananias dies. And then if you go down to verse 11, and great fear came upon the whole church. That's the first time the word ecclesia is used in the New Testament, or used by Luke 
in the book of Acts. The great fear came upon all those who were called out by God, all those who heard these things. So the trouble here was a lack of the fear of God. People were going around doing their own thing. They were leaning on their own understanding. They were doing what was right in their own eyes. And by the way, those phrases come from the, from the Old Testament. If you go to the book of Joshua, it's repeated over and over. The people did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, and that's, that's the way they did it. And in Proverbs chapter 3, he says, don't lean on your own understanding. Instead, you should acknowledge God in all your ways. And Ananias and Sapphira were not talking to God about this. Their communication vertically was missing. They were doing some great things, but they weren't doing them for God. And as you unpack this trouble, uh, there was a deficiency in their part of knowing that God was with them. The face of God was looking upon them, and they didn't care. When you look at Ananias, he didn't even get to speak. But then when the second opportunity. Three hours later, the lady comes up and Peter looks at her and he says, are you really in on this? Is this really what you want me to believe? That this is the sale price that you're giving? Is this really what you want me to do to believe? And what was her answer? Yes, it is. It's so sad that the communication between those people in this wonderful, sacred, utopian position It had gone down, down, down to where they really weren't giving to God. They were giving to get the accolades. Now, what is being taught here? Uh, There's a few things I want you to be able to see. Uh, The first aspect of this is that our best moments on this earth are but fleeting. And Jesus ends up using Peter to communicate with us, with his church, something that we needed. We needed to know this. And that's why the church needed to have this message, too. The communication was already breaking down. The awful deeds that were taking place. God had blessed. He had blessed Ananias and Sapphira. Just as some background. He had blessed them with with material things. They were able to sell a piece of property. They had something. Secondly, he blessed them with a marriage. And it appeared to be very beautiful. It was ideal. He thirdly blessed them with a messenger. Somebody had been sent to them. Uh, Romans chapter 10 talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who bring. So Peter had been bringing the good news in Acts 2. He preached the message that Ananias and Sapphira got to hear about Jesus and how he died for their sins. And fourthly, God had blessed them with a moment of true community. They had it. They lived in Acts chapter 4. They weren't lacking They were feeling the love. They were a part of a church where they loved each other. They were a part of a community that immediately wanted to lay up treasures in heaven. This community had taken Jesus' word seriously because, remember, Jesus told them about Jerusalem. What did he tell them about Jerusalem? That it was going to live forever, right? No, he said that judgment's coming on on Jerusalem. He says not a stone is going to be left on top of each other. He says that beware, you know, in the Olivet Discourse, uh, he says it's going to be troublesome. So honestly, if you believe the words of Jesus, and Jesus said trouble's coming to Jerusalem, if you had property in Jerusalem, what might you want to do? Sell your property. Invest it in the kingdom. Because it's not going to be of any use once the Romans come in and take it all over. And destroy it. 
Now, all of that to be able to say, it's interesting that this, this is what they had a taste of, but God wanted us to hear t- these, these messages. Luke emphasizes that the idea of God was present there, but the, not a reverence for God. And so God gives these five points I want to be able to communicate. First is the repetition of the communication. Twice God says it, not just once. We have the, it could have been very easy that Ananias and Sapphira came to church together. I mean, I would advocate that they would, you know, come in the same chariot or or ride two horses side by side. You know, if they came to church, I would have expected them to come together. But God sees fit that is repeated twice. Secondly, it's repeated with, with punctuation. There was a three-hour separation, which is not just a statement of fact, but it's a communication that, that God was like taking a hammer and nailing it in and then nailing it in a second time. People had fear of God, and three hours later, they had more fear of God. Why? Because if you think about it, if you... If you didn't have a video camera to watch what was going on and nobody had written the scriptures for you and you hear that this guy went to church and there at the church he had a heart attack and died. You would never have understood. There wouldn't have been great fear of God if it was just, oh no, you know, somebody's health didn't survive. But when three hours happens and when you go back and then the words of the preacher are clear again and then you have another death and the people who buried the first one are there to bury the second one and you're saying, Whoa! This is really interesting how God communicates with us. The infatuation, the punctuation marks. Thirdly, it was the communication linking to the past. Did you realize that this is not the first time that somebody encountered God and breathed their last? You might think, well, this is not fair. You know, I don't want to live in fear that God is going to strike me down right now. But this is not the first time it's ever happened. If you go back into the Old Testament, you got Hophni and Phinehas, and you also have, you know, with their strange fire, but the one that really captured my attention was the guy who was walking along with the Ark of the Covenant. And here he's doing a great thing. These oxen are not very smart, and they drive this cart over a pothole, and uh, of course... It wasn't in Delaware, but it was a pothole or something. And the ark looked like it was going to fall off. And he reached up to help. And he breathed his last. You can't touch the holy thing. Now, this communicates something about God. He's done it before. He's done it now. So the question I want to ask is not, is God capable of this? But I want to ask, why doesn't he do it to all of us when we sin? Why is it that he hasn't caused us to breathe our last? Are we good? Are we better than these other people that we're even trying to help? I mean, it's really interesting when you look at how God's communicating. He's linking it to the past and he's, he's making us to be aware that he is great. Fourthly, the communication is in the present tense. For then God speaks through his messenger. Peter stands there and he says, first... I want to be able to touch these five things that are in his speech that are being communicated to Ananias and two of them to Sapphira. First, God affirms that possessions are fine. When you read through this passage and Peter says, you know, you own this property and you owned it. Even after you sold it, you owned the asset, right? That's fine. No problem with that. That's being communicated. Personal property is a beautiful thing while you're on this earth. This is something that God 
not only accepts, but encourages. It's in the Deuteronomy prophet, uh, principles, because even of inheritance and things like that, ownership is a good thing. But secondly, he reveals to him that Satan is involved. If you look at the passage, it says, um, Peter says in verse 3, Why has Satan filled your heart, Ananias? Most of us live like Satan is just some cartoon character that might show up on Halloween if somebody has a cool costume. Most of us don't live as if that there is a spiritual realm out there where there are evil ones, especially an evil one that is dressed like a, an angel of light, seeking to devour not simply with his, with his, uh, with his massive uh, volume and his cunning craftiness, but even to devour you just to distract you from looking to God. He reveals that Satan is active, and I believe that this links to Peter's experience because you remember Peter was one of those few people that was with Jesus everywhere. And do you remember when Peter heard that Jesus was going to suffer on the cross? Do you remember? Peter says, no way. And what did Jesus do when he looked at him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter already knew about Satan. So when Peter is now looking at Ananias, he says, I got personal experience. Satan tried to get me to stop Jesus from going to the cross to pay for my sins. That was wrong. And he says, Satan is trying to get you to hold back the stuff because he's trying to get you to not look at God, but to look at money and to look at other things like praise. Why has Satan filled your heart? Now, I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you find yourself on the wrong end of decisions and things like that, be careful. Make the self-application. Is Satan involved or is he not? All of us need to look deep into the word of God so that we don't get deceived. And the third thing that he brings out to Peter, he says, thirdly, God emphasizes and reveals that every sin, small or big, embezzlement or a little white lie, is personal to God. Let me make an application for it. Isn't there a little deception you can do to make it better? I remember in Florida, we had a, a, a tension between a young man who was wanting to be an elder and some of the older elders, and we were asking, is it ever right? Because both of them were guys, and they were saying, if your wife asks you if this outfit makes you look fat, what do you say? And some of the godly elders said, don't tell the truth. Now, I'm throwing this one out there for you. It sounds like some of you had to answer that question. Um, but God knows. There's nothing little thing that you can excuse because, oh, it would be easier. It would be more pragmatic. It would be nicer. It would be, oh, this would be sacred. You see, our phoniness is not hidden from God. Peter had no idea what the price of that that property was. He had absolutely no clue, except the Holy Spirit told him, ask, is this all of it? Because he was exposing what they were hiding. Brothers and sisters, there is not one little tiny sin. There's nothing that you can't unclick on the computer that God hasn't seen. You may be able to erase this history or you may be able to throw away that that piece of tabloid trash or you may be able to say, well, that was 20 years ago. Nobody will ever know. The issue is that God sees it. You have sinned against God. See, every sin is against God. Define what sin is. 
Sin is any lack of conformity or transgression of God's law. Every sin is against God. Because God set you up in a perfect place and, he's, and none of us would sin until we fell with Adam and Eve in the first transgression. So uh, those are the three things. But then there's two more things that Peter says. He speaks now three hours later to the lady and he orally tests her. He asks about the collaboration. Are you really going to go through with this? You really want to stick with your husband on this one? And she said, yes. Wow. And fifthly, God speaks to her again. But this time it's not a test. It's a revelation of his righteousness. And before she dies, he says, you're going to die. The people that came to take your husband are going to come and take you. And she knew. And I can only imagine Peter when he had betrayed Jesus three times. And that image of him looking and seeing Jesus at a distance. The conviction of his heart. What was going on with Sapphira? When she knew that Peter was right, that God was to be feared and not to be played with. So, where's the gospel in the story? Isn't this message supposed to scare everybody to death so that you'll never sin again? Isn't the, gospel supposed to, uh, isn't the gospel supposed to give us hope? Why would Luke record this? Why would he make us walk on eggshells? Oh, no, God might strike me dead today. Oh, no, God might strike me dead today. Oh, no, I was a little bit off on my calculation. Oh, no, he might strike me dead for this. Oh, no. I... You see, it's beautiful to understand about grace and forgiveness, about a second chance, about the 151st chance or the 777th chance. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That God has not given us what we deserve. He has not struck us down for the things that we should be struck down for. We should already have received in our bodies the just recompense for our sin, but we haven't because of grace. He has held back. When I was looking at this fear of God that was missing, God wanted the church to fear God, to have a healthy reverence. And hence that shows up in the reverence in, they, in their singing, in their appearance when they come before him. All of these things. People fear God. When you fear God, what happens to you? Do you just skip the dee doo da skip the dee day What is it that you'll do differently when you know that God is watching? And not from a distance, but from close up, from inside out. Now, when you think about those things, the gospel comes out. I just want to echo that Peter is not saying anything new. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 19, or 16 through 19. You know this from some of the kids' songs. There are six things, even seven, that the Lord hates. Listen to them. He hates the haughty eyes that are looking at other people's stuff. He hates the lying tongue, you know, when you don't tell the truth, which is what, the, what Ananias and Sapphira did. Hands that shed innocent blood. Praise the Lord, they didn't shed any innocent blood. But number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Check, they're guilty of that one too. Number ne- the next one, feet that make haste to make it happen. Yep, they showed up right there at the apostles' feet. They ran to the church to do it. Then he says, the next one, number six, a false witness who breathes out lies. Are you really going to stick with the story, Peter says? And she says, I'm in. And number seven, one who sows discord among the brothers. You see, communication is really important to God. And if you mess up on these things, you're not going to find that God smiles on you and say, oh, isn't that wonderful? I make one application to explain the gospel here. 
that there was another couple that you know fairly well, Adam and Eve. And this, when I make the comparison between Ananias and Sapphira and Adam and Eve, you'll see some of these things. First, they were a couple. Second, they owned and operated their own land. They had space. Third, they persuaded or they pursued the accolades of praise. And the other, Adam and Eve, pursued the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to improve their conditions. The fourth thing, they both made a plan of action. Adam and Eve did their plan to get the fruit. And, and Ananias and Sapphira did their plan to get the applause. The next thing you realize is God dealt with both of them. He dealt with Ananias and Sapphira by taking them out of the visible church. And he took Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. The fear of God resulted in Ananias and Sapphira. And I want to tell you that if you had been standing outside the garden where Adam and Eve were standing, looking back and seeing that, that angels there, the cherubim with their flaming swords of fire, I think there was some fear of God too. The message is that God is holy in both places. But the one thing we see with Adam and Eve is that God didn't take them with their last breath. He gave them a covering. He said, time out. Let me go get something that will really cover you up. And he killed an animal. Maybe that's where I can bring this blood and stain into it. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And Adam and Eve got to receive that forgiveness. I believe we'll meet them when we get to heaven. Because he was already teaching them right then and there that Jesus was going to pay for their sins. His blood was going to be applied and the wrath of God's holy judgment would pass over them. With Ananias and Sapphira, they had just heard the gospel. They had just heard how Jesus had paid for their sins. They had just been brought into the church and I believe they were believers. But I believe that God says, your purpose is not for you to carry on it's to come home right now because I am going to teach the people in the church that I'm alive. And the illustration here, and I'll finish with this, is C.S. Lewis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe and all the Chronicles of Narnia. When you hear the lion roar, you don't say, oh, well. You say, yes, sir. The fear of God, according to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, is the beginning of a life that's wise. Dear Lord Jesus, I do pray that we will learn from these couples that your grace is sufficient. The fact that we're still here when we have done sins that are so much seemingly even more heinous than the idea of selling some property and giving a portion of that to the church. That sounds so great. But that wasn't the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is that Ananias and Sapphira had, had, had taken their eyes off of God. And so did so many others in that early church utopian state. They were enjoying the community, but they were not enjoying God. I do pray that you'll save us from ourselves. I pray that you might help us to get a fresh glimpse of God. Open our eyes of faith that we may be able to apprehend that God is with us. Help us to see your fingerprints on all these aspects of our life. And I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable. That no corrupt communication would proceed, but only that which is good to the use of building up so that God might be praised. In Jesus' name.